Welcome back, everyone. This is Zach. So on episode two of this podcast, I want to kind of go over what happened and how I got to where I am today in my adult life. In the first episode, I talked a little bit about my childhood and why things were a little bit rough and kind of how I started. And now I want to go into my adult life and how I got to where I am today. So my adult life really began when I left for active duty in the Navy um, in 2014. So I left for the Navy in 2014 to go to boot camp and had a blast. And by that, I mean I got broken down from all the crazy stuff that I had. And they kind of get us all together in a, in a room and break you down to where they can build you up to be better. So with doing that, you kind of start from ground zero. And when I did that, it was like a learning curve. I think everybody had a little bit of a learning curve. But after boot camp, got through that, flying colors, passed, learned a lot, met a bunch of cool people, and did some really cool stuff. So after boot camp, I went on to San Diego to where I completed some training. And that was just basically learning how to do my job. So doing that in San Diego is a lot of fun. That was the first time that I've ever been to California in general at all. So California was a lot of fun. I got to go to the beach all the time, and I love photography and just being able to relax and be calm. So that was a lot of fun for me. It had really big impact on my personal health and being okay. I can that it was a place where I could go to think and relax. So San Diego became kind of like a second home for me. I enjoyed it so much that I I knew I was always going to come back to San Diego at one point in my life. So after after being done with school and meeting all the cool people that I did, I found out that I was getting orders to be shipped overseas. Um, usually these contracts are about two years, your first time out. So you go for two years to attach your ship, do your sea duty, and then you're able to go to shore duty, which is working not on a boat, but working at a command where you're not going to be out to sea all the time. So I was really looking forward to that. Um, it was a lot of new experiences, a lot of new people I was going to meet and definitely not knowing what I was going to do was a little suspenseful. But I, I'm glad that I did it, and I'm glad, I'm glad that I went because of all the experiences that I have now. So I ended up going overseas in, in a small small little island off the coast of Saudi Arabia called Bahrain. And this country is a Middle Eastern country that's known specifically, our presence from America there is basically just so that we have presence there in the Middle East. And that our ships are there in case something happens and we need to be deployed. But nonetheless, I was there and had to make the best of it. So I made a bunch of friends from my ship and working out together and having fun and going out and doing crazy stuff. So my first couple months on the island was mostly spent um, trying to get a lay of the land and figure out what I was going to do and how work was going to go, that kind of thing. So I spent a lot of time just kind of enjoying you know just getting to know everyone and how the schedule works on the ship and how everything was in general but once I got comfortable I was able to start going out more and doing more things so I started visiting the island and meeting more people from the island and that was really cool within itself one of the uh, local bars that I used to go to one of the bartenders really liked me and we kind of hit it off as really good friends. So he was kind of my ear to the ear to the ground in that country. 
he would tell me all kinds of stuff like what was going on with the country and how they worked and why things were happening, that kind of thing. Now, in the military, there's not much to do, but when you find stuff to do with your friends, it makes it a lot better, so that way you're not always alone, and I know everybody knows the nostalgia of being in the military. Sometimes it can be really depressing and saddening, and that's actually one of the topics that I'm going to talk about later, but I had a lot of friends there that I could count on and rely on, so with that, I wasn't as sad and alone as some people can be. So I got to see a lot of cool things while I was on my ship too. We, we'd go out to see, we'd go to different countries. I've been to quite a few countries in the Middle East. One of my favorite countries that I've visited or one of the islands is called Oman. Now Oman is a very beautiful, beautiful place. There, It's like a down version scale of Dubai. Um, Dubai is another country that I've been to, but Oman was my favorite just because it was a lot smaller and the people were definitely more friendly than the people in Dubai. In the Middle East, they tend to not like Americans just because we come off as snotty and a little bit rude sometimes, just because we don't understand their culture and they don't always understand ours. So there's a little bit of a disconnect there, which is part of the reason why I wanted to make this podcast so that we could bridge that gap, not only between us as Americans, but as other countries too, so that we can understand each other a little bit better. But the typical thing that we did when we go visit different countries was everybody that I hung out with, we would go to Starbucks because there's Starbucks all over the world. You go to Starbucks, you have your coffee, and most of the time we'd go to the mall just to kind of walk around and see what they have and just to kind of relax and have fun because we did a lot of work, a lot of hard work. And with that time off, we'd saved up a little bit of money being out to sea for so long. So, of course, everybody would spend their luxury paychecks and almost drain it all on fun stuff, just extra stuff we didn't need just because we had that kind of money at the time. Although it definitely wasn't financially responsible, but that's okay because we were young, dumb, and broke. So now to the juicy part. Um, while I was over there, I kind of found my way into drinking heavily just because I was away from my family and my relationship at the time wasn't going very well just because of the distance and the time difference was a bigger part of it too. We were 13 hours apart. So as when I was waking up, she was going to bed, that kind of thing. So it always was really hard on me and definitely harder on my family. I noticed that when I left overseas, the relationship that I had with my younger brother and sister um, became almost non-existent due to the fact that I wasn't there all the time. And I kind of figured that would happen, but it was a, it took a lot bigger toll on me than I thought it would because I enjoyed spending time with them all the time. It kind of hurt a lot when I wasn't able to talk to them and they weren't talking to me back. It was a little bit harder with our schedules. So that took a really big toll on me. And the one thing that I always found that was there was alcohol. So I started drinking pretty heavily um, to a point where that's really all I would do. I wouldn't go out with friends. I wouldn't do anything. I would just drink. Sometimes I would go drink with friends. Most of the time it was just by myself just because that was my comfort zone. I felt comfortable, you know, sitting in my room, playing video games and drinking. Now, overseas illegal drinking age is technically uh, 19 on the base of the military base. And out in town, because we were military, it really wasn't a question. They just kind of automatically knew we were military and served us anyway. 
So there really wasn't a drinking age in, on a technicality. So we would go out to bars and stuff and have fun and, you know, pay our tabs and everything was great. But there were also plenty of times where it would be questionable just because of maybe the country itself was in a tight spot and they didn't want Americans out in town messing stuff up. So I definitely found it a lot easier to drink in my room and have fun by myself rather than take that out in town and possibly get into a lot of trouble. With that in the military, there is one thing that's been a common problem for quite some time is the depression that I've been talking about. So that depression can get to you in a lot of different ways, but one thing, the best way that it can get to you is by secluding yourself and sectioning yourself off from everyone else. Now, a lot of the times, the people that you work with can notice that. They can see that something's going on, and most of the time they're going to you know, come confront you and talk to you about it. And that way we can figure out, you know, what's the best course of action to help. But there's also, to counter that, there's also people who are really good at hiding those emotions and separating themselves from the person they are at work and the person they are at home. And I started to become that person. So I decided that it was easier if I just kind of became a different person, I was this la laughing, happy-go-lucky guy at work. And when I got off work and didn't have anything to do, I was this kind of lonely guy who just sat in his room and played video games and drank all the time. And one thing to note is that while I was overseas, I did meet a lot of people. I met a lot of friends that I made really good friends with. And sometimes that depression got to them. Um, I lost a couple of friends while I was overseas to suicide and to alcohol. And that hurts a lot. It really does because we made very good memories together. We had very strong friendships and you, you know, I thought everything was good and it just, that wasn't the case. So those relationships were never, will never be forgotten. Never. Not, not from my end, and I hope not from theirs. So no matter what happens, I still remember them as the people that they were, and the impact that they had on my lives will be always grateful. But that did lead me in some pretty dark times, worse than I already was, just because of how alone I felt and separated from my family. So it became a problem, but I was able to control it at the time to where I didn't have to tell anyone or, you know, nobody really caught on. So that was something that I felt that I could keep hidden from everyone else and be perfectly fine. So fast forward a bit to the end of my term on my ship and I'm getting sent back to San Diego. So I'm getting orders to San Diego and I'm, I'm happy. I'm so happy because at this point I'm actually 21 so I can legally drink in the United States. And I was super excited because I loved San Diego the first time I was there, so I was ecstatic to go back. Um, so I remember the day that I flew out and landed, um, a buddy of mine that was in San Diego told me he would pick me up from the airport and we would go and have a couple of drinks. And that was, sounded like a great idea to me. So we went out for a couple of drinks in downtown San Diego, and this is one of the times that I'm not necessarily proud of, but it happened. So, and I want to tell you guys about it. So I came into this bar and that was the last thing I remember was walking into the bar and then 
I blacked out and woke up in a hospital bed. I know that's totally abnormal and it's definitely not okay, but that's exactly what happened. So I woke up in the hospital bed and I had, you know, nurses talking to me and everything to make sure I was okay and, you know, asking me the questions. Do I know where I'm at? Do I know what's going on? And of course, I had no idea. So they, you know, informed me of what was going on. And I got my phone and started talking to a couple of people once I got released and everything was good. Just really dehydrated. So they released me from the hospital and I let my command know everything that was going on. And they suggested that I talk to a counselor about going to rehab. And with the military, when they make suggestions, there's not really a a different route you can take other than their suggestion. So I took their suggestion and I decided to go to rehab. Now this rehab facility that I went to in San Diego was not just Navy, but it was Marines as well. And devil dogs that I know have a lot harder life than I had in the Navy. So they definitely could relate to the depression and everything that I was experiencing while I was overseas. So this rehab lasted for about three months and it was probably the best thing that's ever happened to me as far as bettering myself and understanding who I am and what I want to become. Now, while I was in rehab, they didn't let us have our phones or anything, but we did have computers that we could do like research on and stuff like that downstairs. So there was a lot of times where we could go downstairs and kind of sit on the computer and talk to people for an hour or so. So that was kind of nice, but that was towards the end of my rehab. So we had a lot of counselors there and we all worked together to just kind of learn about ourselves and learn why we have the problems that we have. And with that, I learned a lot about myself. I learned about my past and how that affects the way that I think and the way that I view things. And I also learned to consider other people's perspectives on life and understand that the world does not revolve around me, which I think is an important thing that's not very easily taught, especially as a young adult. So that was very vital to me at the time because I was able to take and turn the camera around to see what other people saw and understand that what I see is not always the entire story. So I used that information to try to work on my relationship with my brother and sister, as well as my mom and dad. So I tried to do that in the best way that I could, and being that I was in San Diego, it was a lot easier. So after I got out of rehab, um, they suggested that I go into AA, which is Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, I mean, we had gone to meetings while I was in rehab and they suggested that I keep going to meetings afterwards. So I started going to meetings and I, I started going with a couple of guys that I had been through the program with. So that way that I, there was there somebody there that I knew and I felt comfortable around. But I also met a lot of new people that helped my success in keeping me sober for quite some time. Now, I don't want anyone to think that because I didn't stay sober, that the program didn't work, or that, you know, AA is just a load of crap. I don't want anyone to think that because that program, both programs helped me out tremendously in my self-growth and mission to learn about myself and to become who I want to be in my life. But at the same time, 
I did come to learn that once I got the hang of it and taking care of myself and learning to control and moderate, I was able to do that without having to go to AA meetings and without having to stay close to all those friends that I did that I didn't meet. But I still stay close to those people just because I value those friendships and relationships that I made, not because I rely on them heavily for sobriety. So after a couple months out of being out of rehab, I started to think about going back home to see my family for a little bit so that I could kind of try to rekindle those relationships and use the newfound information that I had to make that better. So I decided to do that, came back home to Texas for a couple weeks and saw my family and had a great time. And my family could definitely tell there was something different. Um, and my family knew that I was going to rehab, but they didn't understand why, because they never thought that I had an issue at all. And I definitely was not conveying that problem to them while I was overseas, just because it was a lot harder to do and a lot harder for them to understand it. So I came home and I was a totally different person and they could see that and it, it felt kind of weird and I knew it was going to take some getting used to, but I definitely wanted them to know that I was there for them and I wanted them to understand me, but I also wanted them to understand that I didn't have to go through every detail of everything so that they could understand exactly what happened. Of course, I summarized everything and tried to give them the best reasoning behind it I could without telling them the full story because that's really hard to do sometimes to relive those events and go through all of that again and again and again. So I tried to refrain from doing that. Needless to say, the time that I spent home was very short-lived. Two weeks seems to be a long time, but in reality it's quite a short time and really hard to actually focus on relationships because after those two weeks are up, I'm back in San Diego and I feel like I've made no traction just because nothing happened and they could tell that something was weird just because I was different. So that if anything... I don't want to say it made it harder, but it definitely didn't become easier either. So at this point in the Navy, I had a decision to make. I could either get out of the military and continue my life as a civilian, or I could sign another contract for another four years minimum. So at that point in time, I decided that it would be better for my mental health and for my relationships with my family for me to get out and be a normal civilian. So I started going through the steps of learning how to be a civilian. And I know that sounds silly, but the lifestyle that I was accustomed to is definitely not the same lifestyle that I live now outside of the military. So it was a big jump and it was very important that I did that and take those steps early so that way I could transition easier. Because I know a lot of veterans have problems when they get out of either A, not finding a job, or B, the self-confidence and feeling useless because of the daily speed that we had in the military of go, go, go and get stuff done isn't the same mentality that the rest of America has. So while I was getting out, part of the process was getting a doctor to sign off and say that everything was okay for me to get out because the military doesn't want you to get out and you have these unresolved issues. So they want to make sure that you're clear to get out. Now, when I went to this doctor, he reaffirmed my diagnosis of depression, anxiety, sleep apnea, and insomnia. 
So with all those things, um, you know, they set me up on some medication and all of that so that I could, you know, kind of keep a level head and be balanced. Fast forward to when I'm finally getting out. It was September 2nd, um, just about just over a year ago, September 2nd of 2018. And I was finally on my way home to my family. And at the time, I had the ability to go to college. So I, I still have that ability now, but that was where my head was at, was I wanted to go to college, and I wanted to get a degree and make use of the time that I spent in the military, because the military will pay for three years of any state college from your home state. So I decided to do that. So I was coming back to Texas, and my family at the time still does lives in Fort Worth, and I have my aunt, who's my mom's sister, who lives in Richardson, closer to Dallas where the bigger campuses are. So I decided that at the time I talked to my aunt and uncle and they said that I could live with them and I could go to school there and get a job and do all that kind of stuff. So that way I wouldn't have to move back in with my parents and follow the strict rules that I had when I was living with them before. Not to mention they'd already thrown out my bed. So that was null and void anyway. So I moved out to Dallas with my aunt and uncle and I had a money, a little bit of money saved up so that I could live without a job for a couple months. And I did that and it was great. I got to spend a lot more time with my friends. I got to go places all over Texas and a couple other places and meet people that I had met before in the military that were home and, you know, doing great checking up kind of thing. It felt so awesome to be out of the military and to be able to just kind of do what I wanted to do in a way that I hadn't been able to do before. So at this point, I was still sober. Um, I'd still maintained contact with all those people that I had met through different programs and was still keeping it going. I was still, you know, making sure I was taking my medicine for my depression and making sure I was keeping everything under wraps. And I thought I was doing a pretty great job of it at the time. And then um, November hit of 2018. And Something happened that I never expected. I mean, I knew it would happen, but I didn't know when, and I wasn't ready for it for sure. So another part of my story is that my great-grandfather on my grandmother's side actually was in the Navy. Like I mentioned in episode one, he did um, time of war plus six months, and he, he loved every minute of it. He got to see the world, he got to travel, and he enjoyed it so much. Now, I had maintained a relationship with him my entire life. Um, he had known me since I was born and we had a deeper connection just because of that military aspect and definitely being able to talk to each other comfortably. And, you know, we used to go fishing together and we used to do all these kind of things together. And it made it a lot easier for me to have a relationship with someone who was older and wiser that could help me out with some of my decisions. But in November of 2018, we lost him. Um, his, his health was declining rapidly. He was almost 90 years old. And things were progressively getting worse. And everybody kind of knew things were coming to an end. We just didn't know how or when. So my family started to mentally prepare for that. And as you guys just learned, death has been a very prominent thing in my life. Um, for many years and it it hits me really hard just because I value 
those relationships and memories way more than most people do. So it was a lot harder for me to see him, you know, in a hospital bed and his health declining and to see him not be able to talk and not be able to, you know, be the young, cheerful guy that he always was. But when he finally passed away, everybody was in my family was almost, you know, had already come to terms with it that we were going to lose him. And it was it was still really hard for me. Um, I actually stayed sober through it. I didn't, you know, I didn't drink. And I think that was a very important part of my life that I didn't do that because it, I was able to be there with my family and, you know, be there for them so that they had someone there that they could talk to and get things off your chest. Because sometimes when people pass away, you don't always say the things that you wish you'd said. It's kind of like that, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. I mean, we knew what we had. We just didn't know it was going to be gone so fast. And I know 90 years is not fast at all, but it can go in the blink of an eye. I was actually a pallbearer for his funeral with my other cousins and my brother as well. And that was one of my best moments of my life. Most honor that I've ever felt was being able to to bury him just because of how much respect I had for him and how long of a life he lived and how wonderful he was as a person as a father, as a grandfather, and even as a great-grandfather. And when he passed away, it kind of hit me of how important these relationships really are. And that's another part of why I wanted to start this podcast is so that I could share these experiences with other people and to let them know that relationships, friendships, the people that we meet are very important. They may not seem important now in your day-to-day life, But at the end of the day, those memories that you have, those laughs, the cries, everything in between is very important to who we are and to who we want to become. So after November, um, my family started, you know, kind of getting to go through stuff and move stuff around of his and, you know, going through just death in general, of having to close out bank accounts and let everyone know, you know, telling everyone, basically. And throughout the latter years of his life, my grandma, my mom's mom, had been taking care of him. Um, She was his daughter, so she was there for him when he needed her and watched over him, make sure that he took his medicine and watched his dogs and basically was his, his lifeline. So she was really hurt by that, but she knew that it was his time to go and she was at terms with it, which was a lot better than most people I could say, especially myself. So after getting all that stuff together, my grandma was actually living by herself. Now my mom has somewhat of a corporate job, so she wasn't able to you know, move, move and take care of my grandma, neither was my aunt, who has a really good job in Dallas. So I was the next in line to move out and take care of her because she's 
while she's not that old, she's almost 70, she doesn't need help, but it is nice to have someone here to take care of her and help her through her daily life. So I moved to take care of her, and with that, I actually wasn't able to start college in Dallas like I had planned, which is okay, because like I said, these relationships that I have with my family is very important to me, so I definitely realized that that was more important than starting school in Dallas. So I moved in with my grandma, and she started to come up with ideas for changing and selling the house that she inherited. So we've started to make different changes and we're starting to move things around and kind of prep the house for construction so that we can get it ready to sell if she ever decides to sell it. So that's kind of brings us roundabout to where we are now in today's world. So that's kind of where I'm at and I've held a job with the same company that I've been working at for quite some time now. I made a couple of really good friends who've got my back and I've got theirs. And like I said, those relationships are really what I want to pinpoint and talk about in these podcasts. So that to circle around, that's an overview of how my military career went and how that shaped where I want to go in my life and what I want to do and who I want to become. So I want to say thank you guys for listening. Um, If you sat through all 30 minutes of this, I really appreciate it. Um, If you made it all the way to the end, go ahead and send me a message. Let me know what you think. Uh, Let me know if you have any questions, comments, concerns, and I'll definitely be willing to answer those. But this has been another Chats with Tats. So thank you guys for listening, and I hope you look forward to the next one. Thank you, guys.